Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, where we talk about all of the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, obesity, and health and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Today on the show, I wanted to go through a book that I recently read by Dave Hollis called Get Out of Your Own Way, A Skeptic's Guide to Growth and Fulfillment. So as I've mentioned many times on the podcast, I really love the Hollises and the Hollis Co. And um, certainly have went through a lot about Rachel Hollis and some of her teachings. I also recently attended in uh, early March of 2020, the Rise Toronto Conference. And I got the book about a month after the conference. So I found going through Dave's book, a really good refresher, definitely of his talk at the conference, but also just a lot of what they talk about as a couple on the uh, Start Today morning show, as well as the Rise Together podcast. So Just to give you a bit of an overview of how the book works, it sets out 19 lies that Dave has believed throughout his life and goes through each one of them as a chapter. And then at the end of the chapter, he talks about what he's done to get past these lies um, in more of like a bullet form kind of summary piece. And so it gives a little bit of that tangible advice so you can kind of read through each story and then look at, well, what did he do about it? What maybe applies to you? So um, it's very accessible in that way. And you can also go back to those stories at a later point in time if, um, you know, you run into something new in your life and then you think that you want to have some advice on on how to um, move forward or how somebody else did. Anyways, one of the concerns I think with this book is that a lot of Rachel's following are female. And so, you know, Dave writing this book, definitely um, being a male, it, it might have had more of that male perspective, but I actually found it was very accessible for, for women. Um, the way that it's written talks more about um, the lies, and so it doesn't really relate to a specific gender. I also found being a working woman, um, for example, chapter one, my work is who I am, was the lie that he believed. I think that applies, you know, across the board. Uh, even if you are a stay-at-home person, um, your work, that's still considered your work. And so even in that case, it, it could be something that you feel defines you. So I found that it was all still quite identifiable, even though it wasn't speaking from the female perspective, a lot of what I read is female. And so I did um, find that was better. So I thought what I do today is go through some of the lies that are outlined in the book that kind of hit home for me. And some of the advice or um, stories in a way that go along with it um, and and how it kind of relates to my life. I found it very helpful as a whole. So I'm hoping that you'll find just some of these examples to be helpful as well. Um, they relate to things like anxiety. They relate to things um, like drinking, um, which I find also is uh, very similar to um, over eating and obesity. So I did uh, think that it related really well to the podcast. 
So the first one that I did just mention was the one about my, the lie is my work is who I am. And this really, you know, I've never really thought that my work defined me, but it does certainly give you that pause to think about um, how seriously you're taking your job in terms of the definition of self. So one of the things he says is, I can be a good man regardless of where I work, but where I work and what I do does not in and of itself make me a good man. And, you know, I can I can kind of see that um, myself, just knowing that... Y- thinking about your business card and your job title. I went through in the past few years a bit of a rework in terms of my career. Um, I moved kind of out of management and took a very conscious step backwards from that. And it really uh, made me struggle with what what I was really identifying with as, you know, a leader and the title was a leader and how do I be a leader without still having that title. And so I really found that this chapter was a good dig into that um, mentality. The next lie that um, Dave goes through is the lie that a drink will make it better. So he talks about hitting a point in his life where he was drinking too much. And he said he'd always kind of been a casual drinker, a few drinks here and there, drinks with friends. Uh, But then it just started to bleed into more than that. And so what he did uh, to combat this was move towards giving up alcohol. Um, And I can see when he talks about his drinking issue would be very similar for overeating that, you know, you're generally somebody that eats healthily and has some treats here and there, but then it just starts to bleed into, and especially during this COVID-19 self-isolation time, um, it's maybe starts to bleed into, oh, I have a treat every night just to kind of help get me through this. And he even uses um, language that, you know, I've had a hard day. I deserve these drinks. And I mean, I've certainly had that thought in terms of I've had a hard day. I deserve, you know, this chocolate or I deserve a treat or a cookie or, you know, maybe for you, it's a plate of nachos. Um, Anyhow, I think, you know, whether it's alcohol or whether it's a sugary treat that, you know, puts you into a bit of a sugar coma, it's all about that kind of self-soothe piece. And and so I did think that that was a, a very identifiable track. Dave then challenged himself to give up alcohol for a year. And um, has successfully done that and and good on him. I think he um, has talked a lot about it on the Start Today morning show and in their podcast. And he says that he did it by getting to the root of the issue, understanding that it was like an emotional reason that he was drinking. And, and I think that's a lot with eating. A lot of people recognize that they're emotional eaters as well. Um, giving himself accountability was really important. So he kind of came out and told everybody, hey, I'm not drinking for a year and I need your help with that. Um, and I think that was a really great approach. And then also replacing it with something positive So he replaced it with running and has been running like crazy for the last year. Um, You know, a lot of people 
look at that as well with food, uh, replacing it with something, something to do with your hands, um, something else that's just going to kind of keep you occupied during the times that you would typically overeat. And it, I can see the same thing during the time that you would typically be drinking, whether you're going for a mocktail, something like that to help you still feel that it's kind of a something special um, in and of itself, but just not giving you what alcohol or what um, that sugary food was giving you. So I did like that. Um, the next one that I thought was really identifiable is the lie everyone is thinking about what I am doing. So we all kind of think this, and I mentioned this in my podcast where I went through Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, because she talks about that as well. And then Dave gives his wisdom on the same topic. And it's really that they aren't thinking about you and uh, kind of making sure that you're constantly looking at your mindset in that regard. So he talks about becoming intentional about the thoughts he gave weight to, you know, does he look up to these people, you can't take everybody's opinion um, into consideration all the time, and um, to focus on the opinions that matter, not all. So I thought that was good advice as well. The next was the lie that my role um, in relationship is constant, and he talks about finding his own way and doing what is best for him over time, that things in relationships change. And so, you know, if you are always the leader in your relationship, that might change over time. That might have to be something that uh, you can't always be. So I found that really helpful. And keeping in mind that your sister, brother, parents, their their relationship is not the same as yours and who they are in their relationship is not the same as what is needed in your relationship. The next one is the lie, I know what he or she needs. This one uh, was really great. I am The Hollis Company, they both talk about the five love languages a lot in uh, the Start Today, as well as Rise Together podcast. And they also talk about the Enneagram. So this chapter was talking a lot about knowing your partner and how to know what your partner needs through uh, some of the work on your love languages, as well as personality types. So the love languages uh, is by something buddy called Dr. Chapman and he comes up with five different love languages that people use and he talks about understanding your partner's love language because it helps you to know when they're giving you love and also what they would see as love back to them. So the love languages basically in a nutshell are words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. So you likely are looking to receive love in one of these ways and your partner is looking to receive love in one of these ways and you give love in one of these ways and your partner gives love in one of these ways. And so the thinking is you need to understand each other to know what the other wants and also when the other is genuinely giving you their love in the way that they see as love. So I know for me, I think my big one is acts of service because I'm constantly 
doing things, especially, you know, in my small family for my kids, my husband, and kind of being like, you know, don't you get that what I am doing right now is literally my love for you. Like I've said those words, this is literally, especially cooking and things like that. This is literally my love for you on a plate. And so definitely acts of service is one um, for me or is the one. And I'm always looking for that in return. And um, yeah, so I think I, I found that part to be very identifiable. And then in terms of the Enneagram, so the Enneagram, Rachel and Dave always talk about their Enneagram numbers. I've taken the Enneagram online free tests, but I know there are certainly more comprehensive tests. So um, the free test told me that I'm a five, an observer. Um, Rachel is a three, an achiever. Not, uh, Dave is a nine, a peacemaker. I also have been listening to Jen Hatmaker, and she is doing a whole series right now on her For the Love podcast about Enneagram. And it's a very interesting personality test. Um, and it's, it's beyond even just a test. It kind of fits you into a specific type, um, of person. And then it looks at how you pair with others. And it's interesting because the way that the Enneagram types are, um, laid out is again, not one is better than the other. They all have kind of really positive pieces, but then they also show that, you know, there can be a negative side to, the Enneagram personality types and basically what to watch out for. So those are type one, the perfectionist, type two, the giver. And these are just kind of overarching names. Once you dive into the Enneagram, you can see that there is a lot more to each of them. So sorry, type two, the giver, type three, achiever, type four, romantic, type five, observer, type six, the skeptic, type seven, enthusiast, type eight, protector, and nine, the peacemaker. So um, if you're interested in Enneagram, you can certainly Google it and find free tests. And then I know there are paid tests as well, if it's something that you're finding really fits. Again, I think knowing what your partner is would be really interesting. I actually haven't gotten my partner to even take any of the free tests on this, but uh, definitely be interested to know what he is um, in relationship to me as well, um, just trying to understand each other a little bit more. The next lie I wanted to bring up is the lie, I know what you've been through. And I think this one uh, definitely hit home when I was going through the book again. He talks about uh, surrounding ourselves with diverse communities, investing in communities that are unlike you, and using your position to demystify I archaic um thinking. And I think it definitely feels really relevant right now um, with conversations on racism happening, um, ongoing in my life. I'm always seeing twinges of sexism and definitely um, June is also Pride Month. So thinking about homophobia and he really encourages not only their company to be understanding what other people um, are going through in different communities, but um, just also the the listeners on the podcast and then in also the book. So I found this to be really important at this point. The next lie is I need to parent like my parents. 
So this one I definitely felt because there are times when I think back to, well, what did my parents do in this situation? And, you know, Dave talks about that as well. And he says, hopefully your parents did their best, but things have changed over time. You know, you do not need to be them and you don't need to justify why you've done something different than your parents did as well. Because you are not your parents and your kids are not your parents and the time is not the same as when your parents raised you and everybody has their own issues. So I really liked that just in terms of letting go. He says it's something he really struggled with that how does he kind of show respect to his parents without necessarily um, kind of following in all of their footsteps. And so um, some of the advice is not living for their approval, um, allowing yourself to change. He says sometimes getting into a new environment if you're somebody that's maybe uh, living in the exact same town that you were raised in with your parents. And I could see it's definitely harder to break through and find your own path. And um, he said, you know, even though your critic being in this case, sometimes your parents, the intention might be pure um, to kind of avoid following that path if it's not a fit. The next is the lie, I can achieve balance if I work hard enough. And I think, oh my goodness, so many working parents have fallen to this for sure. Um, it's all about work-life balance. And his position is that it's not doable. And I'm starting to see this more and more, that the idea of work-life balance is really difficult and almost impossible, especially if you're somebody that's passionate about your career. And even if you're not super passionate about your nine to five, maybe you have a lot of extracurricular activities that you do that kind of, you know, keep yourself an interesting whole person. And I think um, in reading this, it, it, it rings true to my life as well. Work-life balance just isn't something that um, I can always achieve. And maybe it isn't even the goal. He says talking about staying centered and shifting where you need to shift. So, you know, on some weeks, your life part, meaning maybe your kids or your partner or what you have going on at your house needs to take over. And then sometimes maybe you're going through a period where work takes over. And I've certainly had that whenever I've had to travel for work. And I always feel that, that, well, there's definitely no work-life balance this week because I'm not even at home. And I think um, kind of this idea of staying centered and prioritizing makes sense. He also talks about some of the hacks that they use in their life, like front-loading the week. They plan everything out on Sundays from meal prep to who's doing what with the kids and career and when are they fitting their workouts in. And um, I don't quite do that. I do like it when I can get that meal prep in. But um, in terms of my workouts, I tend to do that more uh, on like a day-to-day basis, I guess, looking at each day. I don't always do it for the full week. But I guess I usually have a general weekly routine that, um, you know, I know the certain days that I want to hit a run, the certain days I'll likely weight lift and things like that. I tend to always spin on Mondays. So it, I guess I do do it to a degree. Um, but he also talks about, um, identifying all of those non-negotiables in your life and making sure to keep your relationship as something that is key in your life and important. 
So as he goes to conclude the 19 lies, he talks about having his own set of operating principles. And he said, you know, this is kind of terminology from the corporate culture, but um, that, you know, his company has operating principles and then he has them for life as well. And, you know, I couldn't really come up with a big list of what my operating principles are. I think, you know, things like authenticity, self-care, um, you know, he talks like work to live, don't live to work. I can definitely see that one. I uh, enjoy working and, and having a career um, and we need it for money, but um, I don't think it's everything to me. Uh, there And there are a whole list of them that he goes through in the book, like finding a mentor, taking assignments that put you out of your comfort, uh, doing more than one thing in your career, and developing initiatives that kind of represent your values and things like that. So he talks about operating principles and then also core values. And I think we do all kind of have those core values and it's an interesting exercise to start to write those down and, and say, you know, this is literally what I live by. Then he moves into how to make change and a lot of that's through committing to habits, which is kind of the big thing for the Hollis company. They have their five to thrive um, and those are supposed to be five habits that that keep you grounded and keep you moving forward and sort of in that um, healthy mindset, healthy habits mindset. Um, and I've talked about the five to thrive before. Right now they're doing a next 90 days challenge and the five to thrive is the big thing. So drinking more water, getting 30 minutes of exercise every day, doing your gratitude journal, finding one hour for yourself to work on yourself each day, and then also giving up a food category, not to um, restrict foods, but more to show that you can give something up for 30 days and stick to it. And maybe that will then spiral into more healthy habits that you'll take on. So um, definitely was expecting there to be a piece on habits. Uh, one of the other things he kind of throws in right at the end, which again is part of their teaching on um, on uh, who you surround yourself with. So he says, you know, considering your circle and how intentional you are with who you're surrounding yourself with. So that thinking of if you're with a lot of negative people, you're probably going to be negative. And he says, you know, if you're the most driven person in your circle, you need a circle. If you're the healthiest, the happiest and the strongest in your relationships and the most positive person in your circle, you probably need a new circle. So starting to identify yourself um, and then surround yourself with people who are kind of where you aspire to be, not always the people that may kind of try to drag you down to their level. So again, always really great advice. And then he finishes off with a book list. So, you know, kind of like a, hey, this is what you should do next. And it's ambitious. There's a lot on that book, but certainly going through, I mean, there's a couple that I've already read. Um, and then there's a couple that I would say are on my list. Like I would like to read the five love languages that I just talked about. Um, there's a book that Dave talks about a lot called uh, Mindset 
by Carol Dweck. Um, and I just got one of Jen Hatmaker's book. It's not the one that's listed here, but I'm excited for that. And of course, Rachel's books are on the list. And then there's a few other that are about more like leadership. So um, I've read a lot on leadership, but these ones I'm sure would be great. So I hope that was helpful. I hope you'll consider the book. And if not, maybe um, this review has helped give you a bit of it. I'm sure it would be great on Audible. They've given away a few of the chapters um, in terms of audiobooks. And they were, they're really well done as well. I know I'm sure for free on the podcast, um, one of the podcasts right now, you can listen to definitely the intro of the book. So that's something that if you are interested, you might want to even just get the ebook of this and um, listen to it while you're out walking or doing some of your fitness. So I do think there is a lot of tangible in this book. I think I've heard a lot of Dave's stories. So for me, there wasn't um, that many that I found were a big surprise. But um, that being said, I did like the way that they were laid out in a story because I learned so well from stories. And then also kind of those tangible tips that are thrown in at the end. So thanks for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and found it useful. As always, um, the podcast is just based on my experience, not intended to be um, either medical advice or psychological advice. If you do like the podcast, consider subscribing. Also, you can write a review of the podcast on um, Google or iTunes or sorry, Apple Podcasts, and that would be very helpful. Also, you can um, look at my blog, www.theallergybeast.wordpress.com if you're interested in more, or certainly follow me on Instagram. I always put what I'm reading on there, um, and there's always lots of information about what I'm up to, and that is at Sarah, S-A-R-A, Lady Gluten, L-A-D-Y-G-L-U-T-E-N. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.